The Golden Stallion, the man tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R, Woo. radio star, here for your little Sovereign Tech Patreon-only Q&A. And oh, baby, do we got a lot of things uh, really to get into and some some stuff to follow up from uh, recent Patreon episodes uh, that I think would be a good fit to get in uh, here. But I'll tell you, you know, it's funny. So the past couple days... <laughs> Ellen and I have been watching Flash Gordon, the original kind of the original set with Buster Crab um, from 1934, which came together. It's like 13 episodes, but it all comes together as Spaceship to the Unknown. And I got to tell you, you know, I've seen this maybe three times before, and I don't I don't know how it never like really clicked for me, but it's it's amazing how much the 1980 Flash Gordon film, which I just love and I've talked about many times. Of course, most people you know really know it for its soundtrack, for its score, which was done by Queen. Um, and it's amazing how much they got in there and how much it's so much like what was actually done in 1934. I mean, they really, really paid, you could say, fan service or... Uh, homage to, you know, to the original 1934 serial that was out there. Uh, and, you know, another thing I was noticing watching, I was just like, holy shit, you know, and in Star Trek, the original series had this kind of magic too, right? I mean, we were both enjoying the hell out of it, but like the, the what was amazing was, is that when, because what these were designed for these, these Flash Gordon serials back in the day was it was to incentivize you to go to the movie theater. Again, we're talking 1934, the movie theater every week. Right. It was to to get you because they would play these like 20 minute and each episode's about 20 minutes. OK, so you end up with a whole movie at the end of the day. I mean, 13 episodes, actually a lot more than a whole movie. Um, but it would be OK. Every week you're going to get a new serial of Flash Gordon and whatever movie was coming out that week, they'd want you to catch. Now, I mean, Pixar kind of does this today, but not in such a serialized form. I'm shocked, frankly, that movie theaters or uh, movie houses, production houses and whatever, uh, studios, that they're not trying this again. Like if if there's real problems, uh, you know, with with ticket sales and things like this, holy shit, put out this serialized kind of action like Flash Gordon and it works great. But it's amazing. And this is the point I was going to get to that, that the original series of Star Trek is like as well. Um, how much it hooks you. Like you really, really, when you, when the first one ends, they know just how to end it. And you really want to see what happens next. Uh, I mean, they get you quick. I remember Star Trek, the original series. Um, actually, I remember a really old interview back when Tom Snyder, the late, great Tom Snyder, uh, when he used to host what was called the Tomorrow Show, not the Tom Snyder Show, but actually the Tomorrow Show. And I guess this would have been back in the 70s. And he was, you know, the, like he had the Star Trek cast on. It's a great interview. With, he has the original series cast on. And he's talking about how, like, they're watching a clip just so, you know, the audience that's watching the Tomorrow Show can see, okay, you know, what's Star Trek all about? And they're watching it for, like, maybe a minute, maybe, tops. And Tom Snyder, like, as soon as the clip stops, the camera goes to Tom Snyder, and he just stops, and he's looking, and, and he, you know, and he's, like, dumbfounded because he's like, oh, wait, wait, we're back? Because he got inside of a minute. He was so hooked on what was you know what was on display and star trek was really great at that especially the original series was really really solid at being able to like hook you in very quickly just you got to find out what's going to happen next you know um i mean it, had, it there's just there's so many great narrative tools that star trek had it it, re, it really it really shines but obviously they weren't new they were very much stuff that was done in flash gordon something else i noticed is that a lot of the a lot of the effects, honestly, that were used in Flash Gordon, especially a lot of the makeup effects or character effects, uh, you know, a guy in a, in a in a suit that kind of looks like a gorilla or something like this, 
you know, not much of that changed in the 30 years between when Flash Gordon came out and, you know, say, you know, back in or later on in 66, uh, when Star Trek becomes a thing, you know, not much really changed. It, it, it's really, really fascinating. And you definitely you see a lot, including stuff that even George Lucas would do in episode one. You see so quickly. And I've mentioned this before on Sovereign Tech when I've talked about Flash Gordon, because I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, you really do see how much Star Wars that George Lucas openly like copied. You know, and, and he doesn't mind copying it. And I don't mind that he copied it. I, w- I do the same thing all the time. You know, there's uh, what's the old saying? Real artists steal. Right. You know, <laughs> and I mean, you just straight steal. You don't even bother borrowing. You just steal. Uh, and well, anyway, I was I was, you know, we were both enjoying it. And it, it, it was just it was it was awesome. So, yeah, Flash Gordon, check that shit out if you never did, especially the first couple ones. Uh, Spaceship of the Unknown. And then there's the one uh, to Mars that, that that's really uh, b- both of those are really enjoyable. The third one doesn't have Buster Crab in it, if I remember correctly. But anyway, we're here to talk. We're here to get into some questions, baby. So let's get into those uh, those questions. And uh well, I'm all right. I'm kind of choosing eeny, meeny, miny, mo here, which ones to open up with. But I'm going to open up with this one. So uh, recently I did a, a book review of um, The Order of Time by Carlo Rivelli, which I thought was a brilliant book, uh, you know, even if I didn't agree with it 100 percent. And uh, do check out the book review. I, I think I, I, I made a, a good summation of what was what was in the book uh, and gave some of my own thoughts and, and you know, everything else on it. So uh, a person asked, a patron asked about that, uh, Brian, from where do you get your audiobooks? You tear through a lot of audiobooks and Audible doesn't seem like it would be, quote unquote, enough for you. Now, this is interesting because I've actually gotten a lot of questions uh, recently of people asking, hey, where do you get your, you know, your your media? Where do you get your content? Where do you get your stuff? Um, so as far as audiobooks, now I am going to. Uh, OK. <laughs> So I'll, I'll tell you how this works. There's there's two ways. Um, normally, I do I do pay for an Audible subscription. Okay, so I do get you know I do get Audible because Audible offers a lot more than just audiobooks, right? And actually, they offer to Audible subscribers. You often get um, a lot of free books. In fact, one of the great free books you can get on there I just found, and it's an Audible original, and it's done by full theatrical cast. Uh, is or theater cast, I should say. Um, they have Dangerous Liaisons, the original libertine work uh, from France and in English, of course, and uh, so well done, so fucking well done. So, I mean, it's nice that Audible offers free books often enough. Um, but yeah, obviously, if I was only getting one or two books a month, like that doesn't make up for the amount of books that I actually read. Well, well, here's here's one thing. OK, let's just say that that I know somebody who maybe gets audible credits and maybe they hook me up with quite a few of those. So that's one way that I do that. All right. The other is, is that I will often if it's a, if it's important enough and audible is the only way I can get it, I will buy the book. OK, I have no problem paying, you know, a full whatever the member price uh, to get my hands on a lot of these books and some of these books that are that are just pure dynamite. You know what? They cost five bucks. I mean, fuck up. I'll, I'll pay five bucks. I don't care. Um, you know, like a lot of or you can get some great works like from Aleister Crowley on there and everything, you know, and, and I mean, those are very inexpensive. There's a bunch. And I mean, and usually they're very cheap. Honestly, I'll pay for a book on Audible if it costs less than my Audible subscription. Like I'm happy, you know, I'm happy to buy it. 
but also, admittedly, I do use um, I use uh, WorldWideTorrents.eu and Pirate Bay, uh, or should I say, I know somebody that uses those, uh, you know, and they may check daily in the book section to see what audiobooks have been released. Um, so I, you know, and then maybe I acquire them that way. So I'll I'll, I'll describe it thus. Um, so a lot of them, a lot of them do get torrented. A lot of these books are acquired through torrenting. Uh, and I mean, like audiobooks are wildly popular on torrenting. They don't always come out on release day, which is why I'm still happy to use Audible. And there's still a lot of them that never come out uh, or never available on torrents that are only available on Audible. So, you know, again, I'm really happy to do that. Uh, I use the app that I use for listening to independent audiobooks outside of Audible. Uh, is Smart Audiobook Player, and it is an app that you can pay for to get premium features, and I think it's well worth paying for. It's a phenomenal app, uh, far better app than even the Audible app, like in by leaps and bounds. Um, and, you know, and I'll just transfer the book onto onto my smartphone or tablet, whatever, and I'll listen to it uh, through Smart Audiobook Player. If I am listening to it for some reason on my computer, I just use VLC. And VLC, I always customize to have the time slider on it where you can, or the speed slider, where you can, uh, you know, turn it up to 1.5x, 2.x, or, you know, 2.0x, whatever, or 2x, whatever, um, you know, just like you would with a podcast app. Uh, so I will, I will use VLC for as my audiobook player, though there is an Audible app for Windows 10 that does a great job. Um, and certainly it's handy that Audible syncs between devices, right? Like it'll always ask you, hey, do you want to check this out? Blah, blah, blah. Now, the, the one problem, or not, I don't want to say it's the one problem, but one of the problems with not having them on audible is that they will um well bottom line i can't i can't play them off of my uh kindle oasis which i like doing i i like connecting you know bluetooth headphones to my kindle oasis that way i'm not carrying around my fucking smartphone because fuck smartphones uh and (laughs) really uh so it kind of sucks that i can't you know load my own independent uh books onto you know onto uh onto the kindle oasis Um, But yeah, but that's that's generally how I acquire all that and how I listen to them so quickly is because every, you know, every piece of software that I use to listen to them allows you to listen to them at some, you know, like and and it depends on the book. Like, so if it's a Star Wars or a Star Trek book, uh, I can listen to it at like 2.5 X because I'm already so familiar with the world with the world that, you know, is being explored. Um, I can take in everything and like I can imagine it very quickly. Okay. Uh, as to where if it's, you know, even a piece of fiction or obviously nonfiction that, you know, is really like deep stuff, particularly say like like something like The Order of Time, even though it's a shorter book. Usually I have to listen to it at 2x max, you know, or maybe 2.1, um, you know, just to be able to, to take it all in. But if it's something that I'm really familiar with, then I can you know, it's no problem. I can actually listen to it, you know, at a very, very fast speed and get everything that's going on. And look, honestly, like especially, you know, Star Trek books, not so much, but certainly with the Star Wars books, like the really great shit that happens, like, you know, I've just I've attuned my ear to listen to the things to listen for the things that matter. Um, Like what is a like in a Star Wars book? What's something that happens within a novel that has broad ramifications to everything else that's going on in the universe or is this character really cool and i want to pay attention every time they come on you know and and i might slow it down for that or re-listen to those parts and everything but i i you know with star like a lot of the novels i mean let's all be honest with each other here 
a lot of what Disney's putting out there is just bullshit filler. Like a lot of it, like the Canto Bite book. Personally, I thought the most wanted book was was pretty rough. Last Shot was actually all right, um, but a lot of a lot of the Star Wars books as late. I mean, th- there's been great ones, you know, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. You know, the Thrawn books I think are are great. Uh, well, the second one hasn't come out yet, but you get my point. Um, but like the Phasma book and some of this other stuff, and of course, like I mean, the, well, this is I don't think this is filler. I think the novelization for the Last Jedi is great, uh, far better than the movie. But you know, you don't. You know what you're going for, right? As a star, when you're like a you know a Star Wars sweaty, when you're a real diehard for that, uh, you, you know what you're getting. So anyway, and maybe we'll talk about some of that stuff on the upcoming Star Wars update that will be out later this month for June 2018, uh, where Robin and I we we dig deep. So uh, you know we'll we'll see how that shakes up. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's what I do as far as audiobooks. That's how I consume so many, uh, is that, I mean, I certainly purchase a lot, you know, quote unquote legitimately. And then in other ways, I, I acquire them in other ways. And, and, you know, certainly torrent sites, uh, get used by someone out there. So, <laughs> and I listed off the two that maybe that someone, I dare not say it's me, but that someone, uh, happens to use. So, okay. Um, Let's go on to the next one. And this is actually a response to uh, the relationship rhombus show that Stephanie and I released. Uh, was that earlier this week? Well, a few days ago anyway. So and here it is. Um, I'm shocked that you've seen a Serbian film. OK, now that's the name of a movie, a Serbian film. Um, I'm shocked that you've seen this. Doesn't seem like the kind of movie you'd be interested in. I'm curious. Why do you watch it? Why did you watch it? Okay, so this is a movie that came out in 2010 um, and has been banned in multiple countries from, you know, being able to be shown or whatever. Obviously, torrent sites don't stop or, you know, keep any there's no media that can really be banned as long as there are torrent sites. Right. I mean, so, you know, you can still see this and it's had various cuts. There's the completely uncut version. Then I think there's like a toned down version that you can see in other other countries that that got it in there. Um, I watched the, you know, totally uncensored, blah, blah, blah version of the film. Um, This is yes. Like I said on Relationship Rama Show, this is an I do not recommend watching this movie. There are visuals in it. There are things in it that will stick with you for the rest of your life that are positively. And I am a person who personally in my lifetime, I have seen some pretty horrible shit in real life. And there are things in this movie that like, you know, some of it disturbs me at that level, at that same level. It's that bad. Um, The reason that I watched it is part of the well, I mean, I'm still very much a cinephile, you know, uh, but I've really gotten to the point personally myself where like I think most of the great movies have been made. Okay, if not all, you know, and granted, The Greatest Showman and Professor Marston and The Wonder Woman, those two movies that came out in 2017 would be exceptions to the rule that those are two movies that I can't imagine my life without. But at the same time, um you know, they're, they're like, they're really exceptional, you know, and I, I, I couldn't have anticipated that those kinds of things would come out. And also fascinating that those are both kind of autobi- or kind of biographical, right? Kind of uh, after a fashion, certainly both based on true stories, however true they are, you know, that's, that's where people can debate what they want. Um, but in general, I think most of the great movies have been made, but anyway, you know, I, I've only more recently come to that conclusion. There was a time, certainly around 2010, where like it was my goal in life, me and a, a great buddy of mine who I worked with uh, at the at the last major tech company I was with, um, that we and it was around the time that this this came out it was just before I moved to New Hampshire. 
um, you know, we were trying to like collect, make the biggest DVD collections that we possibly could. Streaming hadn't taken over yet. Okay, it had just sort of started at this time in 2010. It's hard to believe just how new, like you know, Hulu and Netflix streaming again, streaming and Amazon Prime Video and all these other things really are. I mean, this is it, that they've only been around for you know a scant few years. So anyway, um, you know, you hear but when you're a cinephile and you hear, oh, there's this movie that's been banned and all this stuff. I mean, you kind of want to see it, right? Like just that reason alone says, OK, what's that? And, you know, I have a strong stomach, um, as did my buddy, as to my good friend at the time. And so he and I was like, all right, well, let's check it out. And we watched it and I was kind of like half watching it at work. And I'm really glad that I sort of was only half watching it because fucking a like i said is this i mean there's like there's necrophilia there's child sexual abuse there's i mean there's there's straight up rape i mean there's like this is a really 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 disgusting film um but that was it was totally a situation of curiosity killed the cat for me you know like it was just i i wanted to know what this was about um now my buddy at the time he was far more into like the horror genre and into you know movies that were like you know disturbing in a way um and, you know, I mean, we, we would we would share our best with each other. We'd be like, OK, well, here's you know, this is what I thought was an amazing movie this week. And he'd watch that and then he'd share one with me and I'd watch that. And it was, you know, kind of our way of being cultured because he and I were really guys, you know, well, I'm, I'm just going to say it because, like I said, I get accused of being arrogant. So why stop? Um, You know, we were two guys that really, <laughs> you know, we're guys that could do anything, you know, I mean, <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, we really we enjoyed like the learning process, always learning every day, taking in new information, you know, all of these things and being after a fashion cultured, you know, and, and I don't mean in a conventional sense, but in a non-conventional sense. And, you know, we liked our underground scenes. And, and I mean, I could tell a ton of stories about that 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 had physical connotation, shall we say. Uh, we really enjoyed underground scenes and all this stuff. So this was a part of that. And, and that's really why I watched it. Um, but I, I've never watched it again. I'd never watch it again. And I'd never tell anybody. I would say, save your curiosity for something else. OK, because it is just like there there are, I can just off the top of my head. I can think of three scenes that will just completely fuck with you in a terrible way. And and just don't do it. So I know that me talking about it is almost like promoting it, almost goading you to watch it. But I'm telling I'm fucking telling you I'm not goading you. Don't do it. So there you go. Uh, there's a reason I think that there is so much. This is one of those cases where like all the uproar around the film was well justified, in my opinion. So um, anyway. OK, so that's uh, that's a Serbian film. And to, to answer uh, that that question, uh, let's move on to something else here. OK. And well, while we're talking about entertainment here, um, we'll get into that. And then we've got a little a little tech uh, to get into uh, in a bit here. But um, let's see one thing. I, and this was actually in response to a previous Q&A episode on Patreon, which was about the uh, the new Thundercats uh, cartoon, which what in the goddamn fuck. Right. So here it is. <clears throat> here it is. One thing I wonder if you'll touch on. What is this need to infantilize characters now? I see this with the new, with the Funko Pop figures as well as these animation styles that seem to have the characters regress in apparent age. 2011, Lino had to be a teenager. Now he has to be some childlike looking thing. Same with the Teen Titans to some extent. Children used to be able to watch adult characters and not have the main characters be juveniles. It looks like we can't do that anymore. 
Um, now, this is a conversation I was having recently, too, about this, and that reminded me of this person asking this on that Thundercats um, episode. So I thought it'd be great to, uh, you know, to cover it here. Um, yeah, now, this this is a thing. So a couple things. Okay, one is, is that, yeah, I, I, I mean, in fact, in fact I, was, I was saying this during the conversation. I was like, you know, I don't get it. Like, when I was a kid, you know, all of my heroes were adults, even if the cartoon, say, was made or the comic book or whatever was made for kids, was effectively marketed towards children. The heroes were all still adults, you know. Now, Thundercats is, is, is a is a funny thing, OK, because in the in the original Thundercats series, which I'm a huge fan of in the original Thundercats series. Lionel was was a teenager. It was kind of a Shazam situation, right? A Captain Marvel situation where Lionel was a teenager, but his body aged as they were traveling, um, you know, to third earth from Thundera. Okay, so really, Lionel's always sort of been a teenager. But this new Thundercats cartoon, not the one in 2011, which I thought was awesome. I mean, I get why they made them kind of teenager. But even then, the 2011 Thundercats cartoon, which was I mean, just dynamite. One of the best things made, you know, in recent years up. I mean, and also uh, Cartoon Network did a great He-Man reboot. That was awesome. That went like two seasons. I mean, that was really fucking awesome. But those two cartoons, like up until, say, Voltron Legendary Defender, which season six just came out, by the way, um, and I'll be doing a review of up until then, like these were these were very much. I mean, they, they were so great. I mean, there, there, there really hadn't been animation, American animation anyway, of, of, at that scale. You know, it, it's been a, it had been a while and it's been a while now. And this new Thundercats, like I already said, is just horrendous, like what, what they're doing. And this is real infantilizing. I mean, it, it really, really is. Uh, and it's taking something that's a, really a very epic and exciting story and just turning it into comedy. I mean, I'm a, I'm. Well, I'm I'm partly disturbed by the infantilizing of everything that's going on. And I, you know, the 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 conspiracy theorist in me and I don't use that term uh, pejoratively, the conspiracy theorist in me makes me think that maybe they're wanting to keep people, kids and maybe even not just kids, but keep them infantilized and everything. But, I, you know, I, I'm open to that. OK, um, because if you yeah, I mean, well, well, let, all right, let's talk about that for one second before I get into the part. The other part that, that bothers me is that, you know, when I was a kid, like, who did I want to be? I wanted to be Ric Flair. I wanted to be Captain Kirk. I wanted to be I can't think of a teenage fucking character that I wanted to be. I wanted to be an adult like I was dying to be an adult. Like, oh, yeah, give me autonomy. Give me the ability to do this. Give me that strength. Give me blah, blah, blah. Give me that you know experience and intelligence. Let me command the enterprise. Right. You know, I wanted that so badly. And I think it's a problem when you're creating characters that are just like, I mean, even and I look, I love The Simpsons, but even The Simpsons were like, you know, there's there's this almost like eternal youth and not eternal youth in the like, you know, childlike wonder and, you know, creativity and always learning kind of, you know, beauty of eternal youth. I mean, because there's an eternal youth that is actually a very wonderful, you know, very wonderful thing. But the eternal youth in that you always you never really grow beyond that. You never really become a, like an independent adult. Right. And. Yeah, like, you know, why, why venerate that? You know, I mean, yeah, you know, children are, are amazing and wonderful, you know, creatures they are little human beings that that get so much right and are so brilliant. OK, but at the same time, like being stuck in that mode and then venerating that mode, I, 
to, you know, to where you don't appreciate and enjoy and look forward to the wonders of being an adult. And I, I don't get it. You know, I just I don't I don't understand that. And I could get into kind of what I think is the weirdness around adults making content for children, because I think that gets into some weird places, too. I could certainly talk about that. Um, I've hinted at it in the past. But the part that bothers me a little bit more is that pretty much and, and I've talked about this also with Star Wars, where it's happened and with other things, is that a lot of these franchises are being turned into comedies. And that bothers me maybe a little bit more. And the reason being is that it's like everything's just supposed to be a joke now. And, and, and I get it. Maybe what's going on is it's just everybody's so goddamn fucking depressed, you know, that they can't. They just need to laugh all the time. And it's the only way, you know, to appease the, the, the masses, you know, to to appease the uh, the, the muprons. Right. Or the, the muggles, you know, like that's it's their bread and circuses. And, and, and everything just has to be a joke, because if there's anything serious, it's going to remind them to think about the seriousness of what's going on around them. And then, they, you know, they just fall deeper into depression. I, I don't know. It, it's like it's really annoying. Can I and look? I love comedy. I love comedy. But can I get some serious content? You know, can I get some stuff with some meaning, some depth? Or how about can I get something? Because then, you know, also the comedy is all just like like tragedy and trauma. Right. Can I get some happy go lucky shit? Can, can I get could I get some characters? Can I get some entertainment? Where people are happy, where people are like, I love life. You don't get that anywhere. Now, I understand that people would say, well, without conflict, you don't actually have a story. I kind of understand that, but at least give me people with the fucking attitude that, no, I can do anything. I can take care of this, you know, have that independence and everything. Um, actually, some people send me sent me some great comments uh, from uh, the most recent episode of Sovereign Tech, episode 281, where I talked about how, you know, like I think that that kind of the the attitude, the you can do anything, take no prisoners attitude, which I think is great. It's a very egoist attitude that existed in the 80s. How, yeah, it, was, it wasn't all that in the 80s. And, and how I said, like, or how Stephanie came up with the idea that when the Soviet Union fell, the entertainment companies didn't feel like they needed to, uh, you know, create this, like, anti-communist message anymore. Um, I want to touch on that in a upcoming Sovereign Tech episode. OK, because I want that that, you know, the comments on that to be available to everybody. So I don't think I'm necessarily going to use that for a Q&A. Maybe I will. But I, I did get the comments on it in the emails and I really appreciate those. And I think it's worth exploring more because I, you know, I, I don't think I touched on everything um, that I wanted to in that. But why does everything have to be a goddamn joke? I'm just, you know, it's just playing. I feel like it plays even though you think it's comedy and it's making people laugh. And again, I love comedy. OK, but I feel like it, it's prevalence. And taking things that aren't comedic and then turning them into comedy really just falls into the misery Olympics, which we've got to get the fuck away from. You know, give me the people in my life that are looking at life like life is fucking amazing, you know, because it is. And yeah, I know there's bad shit going on. Obviously, you see who's in the White House. No shit. But at the same time, you can carve your own fantastical niche even on this little, you know, blue jewel we live on. And I want those kind of people around me, you know, and, and I want that kind of entertainment around me that 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 says, no, humans are fucking great. And we can do these amazing things. That's what I want. And I feel like so much of that just just it, it, it's it's not there. Um, it, it's really not there.
And I've recently learned about other examples, too, like just how really just how terrible a lot of kids television has has become, frankly, um, and how it treats them like it treats kids like idiots, you know, and, and that's that's really pathetic because kids are not. I mean, it's bad enough that most adults treat kids like idiots. The last thing we need. Uh, and again, maybe this speaks to the problem of adults making content for them. The last thing we need is, you know, fucking, you know, media that they're they're They become obsessed with that also treats them like morons that treats them like idiots, uh, because, again, they're absolutely not. So anyway, yeah, I, I, I get your point. Uh, the infantilizing is the thing, you know, with the Funko Pop figures. I don't complain about that so much. I get your point on that, but I, I do think that that's more of a that's more of a Japanese styling. I don't necessarily think that that fits under uh, an infantilizing and also the inexpensive and the lack of intricacies that these figures require is what allows Funko to a pay for all the licenses that they pay for to be able to make. I mean, like I look at Funko Pops and I, you know, I love them. I, it's, so I do have a bias. I, or you could argue that I have a bias, but like I have a Funko Pop of Swamp Thing. I never, th- I mean, I, you know, outside of the eighties or early nineties, I never thought I'd ever have like a Swamp Thing figure again of any kind. I have a Tron figure, what, a fucking Tron figure without the movie being out. I mean, this is the amazing thing about Funko Pop is that they're releasing merchandise that is not beholden to the whims of Hollywood. Like it's really not because you know, Hollywood only releases action figure or, you know, movie studios and television, uh, you know, companies and everything. They only release shit when the show is hot or when the movie is hot, when the movie's out and all that. And then, you know, after that, the, the merchandise could fucking die. Right. Uh, to their mind. And so that's sad because you can't you, you can't collect figures for these like really eternal characters and these eternal story or these stories that are ever really evergreen and, uh, you know, become cultural phenomenons in a way. Um, so, yeah, so I, I don't complain so much about that. I understand why they do it that way. A, it's Japanese styling. B, um, it's also like the lack of of uh, of detail and intricacy is what really allows them to to make so many different, uh, you know, from so many different franchises, make so many different, you know, uh, characters. Like, I mean, I have one from from Independence Day uh, the or actually the first and second movie. Um, I've got one of Lemmy Kilmeister. I've got the Doom guy. You know, I have stuff from the original Battlestar Galactica. I never thought I'd be able to buy shit from the original Battlestar Galactica again, especially after that horrendous piece of shit show, uh, you know, that came out in 2005 that tried to read that tried to reimagine it. So, yeah, I mean, and I think they just came out with like they're coming out with Gargoyles, Funko Pops and and uh, uh, they came out with Motley Crue, Funko Pops and all this stuff. I mean, that's 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 incredible. I mean, outside of like McFarland toys and usually with those, you have to pay some kind of premium and they're usually so huge. They take up your entire shelf. I I like what what Funko's doing and I and I don't necessarily see that as infantilizing, but I I could understand where you're coming from, certainly. Um, But yeah, yeah, the the things that are being done with the franchises, with, with our classic franchises, and it's not like it's destroying our childhoods or anything. Actually, it's destroying childhoods today, potentially. And that's a far more scarier prospect uh, because it's not showing off these characters. I mean, even like, you know, you think with Thundercats again, like I said, yeah, sure. Technically, he's always been a teenager, but that was part of what made the show so great was this was this teenager having to deal. I, I mean, in Thundercats, you know, these artists at the time that that did these shows and you go you go down the list of them. OK, you know, they had to try and sneak in, you know, some bigger ideas here and there. And Thundercats actually tried to be a, a cartoon with a moral story back in the day, kind of like G.I. Joe would try and be, even though inherently, you know, we all know the problems with that. Right. But regardless, with Thundercats, um, 
you know, they try to to bake in these ideas. And the 2011 Thundercats also tried to do the same thing, which I give them credit for. Sometimes they're a little too heavy handed. But regardless, you know, Lionel was dealing with shit. I have this body of a man, but I have this brain of a teenager. What am I going to do as I grow up? I mean, like, that's an interesting thing for for young people to experience. Like, yeah, this is me going through my transitional stage. This is me going through puberty. This is me going through like this. I, I mean, not that Lionel was ever going to teach you about sex, but you get my point. It's an interesting narrative tool to create. Far different from just turning the Thundercats into a fucking joke. You know, if you want to make fun of how voice acting and all this other stuff was in the 80s, you go right ahead. You know, you can make fun of production all you want. But that's kind of a meta uh, 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 comedy, you know, and, and that's very different. That That's something where you're still appreciating what's before you in a way um, or you just hate it as compared to it being made for its own sake. Comedy for its own sake in that sense. And in which case it becomes insulting to what the franchise had done and insulting to children and adults alike to all of us. That's why everybody got so enraged about that new Thundercats. But anyway, um, yeah, and the Teen Titans, just quick with that example. Yeah, that's annoying because in the comic books, they're not like they're, they're full, you know, like they're they're very much adults. Even if they're teenagers, they're very grown up. Right. Um, and, and, and that's that's stupid, too. So, OK, let's go on to uh, our next question here. And this is OK. Yeah. So this is in reference to. Uh, something I touched, I, I briefly mentioned it were when we were talking about the Atari VCS, which did, you know, millions of dollars in pre-orders. Um, so now, in, uh, let's see, in television, there there is going to be a rebranding of an Intellivision. Now, we don't have, a, there's a press release. The full details don't come out till October 1st, but they're announcing it. They're going to recreate the Intellivision. You know, it's going to be on this whole classic console craze, which I think is just an absolutely wonderful fucking thing. I think it's great. Um, and... The intel- so the person asked, um, do you think this will be another ColecoVision chameleon? Um, I heard you mention once you were a fan of Intellivision. What was your background with it, if any? Don't care if Prime or not, uh, or Namie or not. Uh, hail Thanos. Yeah, hail Thanos. <laughs> so this comes from uh, Jim Jesus of the Lulberts. I don't mind naming him. Um, yeah, I, I did like the Intellivision. Uh, it's not a system that I spent a lot of time on, mainly because when the Intel, I mean, the Intellivision has an impressive multi-decade history, and it really did do a lot of firsts for its day. It was, you know, kind of the first 16-bit uh, gaming system. I mean, it, you know, it had, it had a lot going for it. Um, but for me at that time, the Commodore 64 kind of took over in my mind and the, you know, the Nintendo just, that's what you were, you know, playing Nintendo is what you're able to talk to other people about. Um, so, you know, not everybody had an Intellivision. So I don't, I don't like, I have a history with it. I enjoyed it. Uh, for what it was, but it wasn't something that I played like nonstop. Um, if, if this thing actually comes to fruition and if it's done in the style of, the NES classic or the SNES classic, you know, or the, the mega drive mini or whatever, you know, if it's done in the style where really we're just, we're just repackaging classic games and putting it in, I think it could exist. I think it could come to fruition and I would buy it. Okay. I would absolutely buy it. If however, I mean, because, you know, I buy, um, you know, they have like for Nintendo DS, which of course I would put into my Nintendo three DS, you know, they have all these like, you know, in television classics cartridges that you can buy where it's like 30 games or something and you can play it on your 3DS. You know, I, I, I buy those for almost every system, you know, and I enjoy the hell out of them. Um, but if they're going to try and do like the Atari VCS, and it seems to me that if they don't have the details for this thing until October 1st, 2018, they're trying to gauge interest, 
which is similar to what the Atari VCS did because so many people signed up for their newsletter, myself included, or signed up to get updates. And that's pretty much all the Intellivision is asking for at the website, which I'll, I'll mention it, IntellivisionEntertainment.com. Um, if... <sighs> If they are trying to do what the Atari VCS is, or if they're trying to do what the the ColecoVision Chameleon did, which ended up being complete bullshit, it was a total scam, where they are trying to make a platform that, you know, like an actual console that you could put cartridges into and that you could make new games for. If they're trying to do that, oh, yeah, this, this isn't real. It's not it's not happening. I I am. Unless one of the one of the really big companies or some really, you know, like a tech giant or something come is the one releasing the console that can take new cartridges and play new retro games and all that, um, you know, or, or if it's like Hyperkin or something like I just don't believe that it's actually going to be a thing. I just don't. Now, if Hyperkin said that they were working with Intellivision, I'd believe it because, like, that's a company that has a track record, right? Or if Analog, like Analog.co, if Analog was working with Intellivision, I'd believe it. Okay, but if it's just them, I I just, I think it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be another ColecoVision, uh, you know, another Chameleon, and it's just going to be BS. But if it just comes out as a mini with some preloaded games, yeah, I'm on board. I'll I'll, I'll take it. I'll buy it. You know, I'm, I'm all for that. So, okay, uh, let's move on to to the next. Um, someone said they were shocked to find out that Star Trek Voyager was my favorite Star Trek. Could I explain why? Okay, so this is in reference. Uh, Ellen, Stephanie, and I, the best. Woo! We did. Uh, we released just uh, yesterday, actually, in place of where this episode was supposed to be. Um, we released the Star Trek update for June 2018, which we did like a whole series overview and character overview and everything of Star Trek Voyager. And we listed off some of our top episodes. And we've actually, it was so inspiring. Like literally that night, all three of us, we were watching, you know, we like, we sat down and we were watching, uh, you know, the Borg episodes. We called it the Borg collective of watching all of the Borg episodes. Um, the other night we did it too. We did it again. <laughs> we just kept going. So, and, it, and it's a ton of fun. I mean, it, they are such great characters uh, or such a, such a great villain. And, and, uh, you know, Voyager really got to explore them so much more. Uh, it's a real joy to, you know, to enjoy those episodes. And especially with those two ladies. I mean, they're, well, they're my two favorite people on planet Earth. But also, I mean, like the, the commentary that the three of us have when watching this shit is so great. Uh, you can't ask for a better life. But anyway, the <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I mean, like a, I think I said this on the Star Trek update, like my, my opinion fluctuates. OK, with with what is kind of my favorite, you know. Um, like it wasn't until maybe a year ago that I finally said, no, you know what? Picard is better than Kirk, right? I mean, it took me a while to get there, but I'm there now. So, you know, and that's important, but yeah, I put Voyager at the top. Like I, well, I said it on the show. I mean, there are the, what I think very clever, uh, storylines that get done. Very, very clever storylines. There are the, um, there's the, uh, some of these stories, some of the plots. I mean, it's it, some of the episodes are real hard science fiction, which is so quote unquote hard to get the uh, at any point in time, um, you know, the expanse being maybe the exception when Babylon five being an exception. But otherwise, we usually don't get hard science fiction, certainly on television or hell, even in movies. Um, and Voyager would deliver on that a lot, you know, because they wouldn't spend so much time even with a morality play. They would just be 
you know, no, we're going to do science fiction for science fiction's sake. And that's the other thing I like about it is that they would, you know, they start, Voyager had so much Star Trek lore to build on top of that they just took everything to the nth degree, right? They took everything to the next level. And they're like, oh, well, you know, the doctor, you know, will come out and say, like in the episode Scorpion, he'll say, well, I was able to modify the Borg nanites and all this stuff. I mean, and, you know, you didn't even know what the hell Borg nanites were. Uh, back, you know, back in 88 when Q who came aired, right. Or 89 when that aired. Uh, so, you know, it got to take everything as an advancement. Everything's all this technology and, and the amount of, the amount of jargon of tech jargon. Okay. Or what they call tech, uh, Trek, no babble. Okay. Um, or, or Trek babble, either one there, I've heard them both used where it's like just terms that mean something in Star Trek, the raw amount of it. in that if you're a major Star Trek fan, it's just, it's so beautiful to hear it. And you really get lost in the Star Trek universe with Star Trek Voyager. I mean, you get lost in a good way. Uh, and I, I just, I, I love it for that. I think that that's so cool. It is Star Trek for Star Trek's sake. It is very much the culmination of everything that Star Trek is in relation to Star Trek itself, not in relation to what's happening for you right now. As to where a lot of Star Trek was a commentary on the modern day, Star Trek Voyager is Star Trek in the Star Trek universe being as Star Trek-y as it can be. And I fucking love it for it. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's really always been my thing, you know, with, with Star Trek Voyager. And I do love I love the the significantly, really, compared to other shows, uh, the larger female cast was really great female villains even you know a lot i mean yeah lursa and bator i know but i really appreciated that i think jane is a tremendous character um i said I, I talked about that i thought she's my favorite you know i think she's my favorite character um you know you get seven of nine you have Alana torres you have all these i mean like they they really really did a great job of i mean they they, they doubled very much i think the the amount of well, yeah, D Space Nine at the time, and so not exactly a doubling, but almost a doubling of the amount of women characters in you know that you could think of in the Star Trek universe. Uh, that, you know, there were major characters, um, there were primary cast. So, and I and I appreciate that, you know, and they'd all be on the bridge at various points. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was really really great, and that's I mean because that's something I want to see. It's it's part of the enjoyment for me. Okay, so that so it matters. So yeah, Star Trek Voyager, awesome. Um, I don't know if I'd ever it, it's tough to do a full ranking, you know, of that. Um, I really love Enterprise. There was a time where I thought Enterprise was kind of my favorite show. Like, I love the character of T'Pol. I think she's just she is dynamite. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot to love about that show. So but yeah, right now, Voyager really does just kind of sit at the top for me. And the Intrepid class is such a cool ship too. you know, like, I mean, the, the, the actual Voyager itself is such a such a cool thing. And you got to admit, in my per, well, at least to me, in my opinion, the opening to Voyager is hands down the most beautiful Star Trek opening ever done. I mean, the visuals are stunning. Jerry Goldsmith's theme that he wrote that Chad away ended up com- uh, uh, conducting is tremendous. I mean, man, and of course, Jerry Goldsmith is God when it comes to music. I mean, just he beats John Williams. He beats them all, uh, you know, and, and rest in peace, buddy. But anyway, so there you go. I mean, if you're shocked by that, I'm, I'm really, you know, and then, of course, I mean, in my head, when I was watching Voyager, like I imagined all the sex that was happening on the show because it had to be happening because they had to be thinking about being a generational ship and all that. I don't care that they never showed it. It had to be happening. And I would think about that, you know, pretty often. I mean, these are the only humans you've got or the only people that you're really like, 
you know, even if it's other alien species, they're the only ones you're familiar with. So you're going to start pairing up or who knows, you know, in my mind, I'd say that some of them might even hell gotten into triads and everything. You're already living an unconventional life being lost in the Delta Quadrant. And it's for some goddamn reason still following Starfleet protocol. Uh, hey, rock and roll, you know, have those unconventional, you know, relationships or polyamorous stuff or whatever. And all that shit, you know, it, it runs through my head when I watch it, too. So. You know, like in my own mind, and I do this with with lots of things, movies and shows, I can make things infinitely more enjoyable and sexier by adding in scenes in my head of what's happening at during certain moments, um, you know, with what's actually being put onto the screen. So, yeah, that that puts Voyager over the top uh, for me, you, you know, as far as uh, you know, being top spot. Um, OK, so let's I think that's enough questions there. Uh, didn't really have. Well, we had the Intellivision question. That's kind of a tech question. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to see a ton of these minis, you know, get released, but unfortunately, like I said, you know, a lot of these mini consoles, retro consoles, but unfortunately, um, I don't think we're going to see much of them after the fact. Uh, I think that, you know, the way that games are made now, you're not going to have anything to re-release in the future. So that's, that's a real problem to, uh, to consider. Like I said, all these game companies, they're shooting themselves in the foot. They're just taking money now and in a very real sense, they are losing money that they can make in the far future, you know, 30 years later and whatever. And but, you know, most companies don't think the long term anymore. And that that's an interesting thing to explore uh, as well. So, all right, let's get into the album of the week. Um, I'm going to toss a classic on you here uh, because I, I think that this is absolutely like just absolutely uh, totally underrated, but brilliant album. And this album is from it really shouldn't be. And this is part of the problem. This is why I think it got ignored. This album's from Motley Crue. Okay, stop right there. Because it's not Motley Crue with Vince Neil at the helm. It's Motley Crue with John Karabi after Vince Neil left and went solo. And honestly, I think he did great solo records, or at least certainly his first one, Exposed, was was badass. I mean, there's so many great songs on that. Carved in Stone, and you get into the later stuff, that's a little different. But certainly Exposed was was fantastic. He's working with Steve Stevens and everything. I mean, it was really great. So, but Molly Crew itself, you know, what's left of it, Tommy Lee, Mick Mars, Nikki Six, and then bringing in lead singer John Karabi, uh, who would be known from, you know, Union and other things, uh, was a very different animal. Like, as where Vince Neil sounded like, sounded kind of like a sequel to Motley Crue, Motley Crue no longer sounded like Motley Crue. They, they were fitting, trying to fit in, and their, this album, which was a self-titled album, Motley Crue, or what is often called Motley Crue 94, because it came out in 94, uh, just so you know what the hell you're talking about. And that's always the challenge with self-titled albums, right? Is that, Are you talking about the band or are you talking about the album? So I'll call it Motley Crue 94, or I'll just call it 94. Um, they were really trying to fit in with the grunge scene, and they did some... This album is really, really raunchy and really heavy and, like, really gritty. Um, like, the, the guitars sound wholly different from anything you've ever heard Motley Crue do or since. Um, even Generation Swine, which would see the return of Vince Neil, which is originally was supposed to have Karabi uh, and was supposed to be a sequel to Motley Crue 94. Um, I mean, there's nothing that sounds like this album. And it is a gr it is a great, heavy, rocking album. Uh, and it's almost track for track. I mean, there's so many good songs. It opens right up with power to the music. Really heavy. And Karabi's voice is not screamo, but he's got a very like a raspy and an intense voice. 
you know, and like, I mean, it, it, I don't know, it's kind of a grinding voice. I mean, it's not grinding in like that. It's high pitched. It's actually kind of lower pitched, uh, but it, it has this really unique sound. I mean, I, I, I think Karabi's voice sounds fantastic uh, on, on this album and with, you know, with mix and Nikki's, you know, guitars in the background and, and Tommy's, you know, really slammed down the drums hard as usual, bashing the skins. I mean, this is this is a crazy album. So part of the music, that's fantastic. Uh, it gets into Hooligans Holiday, which is kind of the major single from it. And this is a song, Hooligans Holiday. You listen to it. You just feel like a badass. You feel like going and robbing a bank, frankly. <laughs> I mean, it is so it is such like a it's hard to describe. You got to listen to it. You know, that was the major hit off of there. They tried to there was another song they tried to release off of that, which was Misunderstood. Also a great song. Um, but it didn't take off their uncle Jack. I mean, there's, there's a ton of great songs, but don't let the name Motley Crue fool you. This sounds nothing like Motley Crue, but it also doesn't sound bad. Sometimes when, you know, a band tries to branch out and try different things, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. This is one of those cases where actually if you, you know, if you listen to music critics and not that you should, but if you listen to music critics, most of them will say the same thing that I said, which is that. If they didn't label it Motley Crue, if they didn't call themselves Motley Crue, this could have been one of the biggest albums of the 90s. It's that good. And it really is. I mean, it, it's a, just a super intense, evil sounding album. Um, I, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, the, the four songs I listed off are fantastic. But I mean, there's just the, the whole thing is just really, really raunchy and just very. Yeah, just it just has this this badass sound. And I don't know many albums that even sound like this, which and I don't know how they pulled it off right, because other bands at the time were trying to do this, too. Like Def Leppard came out with Slang. Now, I love Def Leppard's Slang. I think it's an awesome album. But where they tried to have a harder, edgier sound and, you know, something that might not even be all about, you know, singing about women and everything like like Def Leppard is wont to do, which I, I love. But, um, you know, that didn't necessarily hit with people. You know, I liked it, but I admit that it's a little bit of an acquired taste. I don't think that's true with Motley Crue 94. I think they they knocked it right out of the park. They knew exactly what they were going for and they fucking delivered. But nobody would listen to it because all because it said Motley Crue. And for some goddamn reason, people think Motley Crue are a joke, which they're not. Um, they're 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 wildly talented. Uh, so. Well, I mean, there was a time where they weren't talented. Yes, I understand that. Okay, like Nikki Six will be the first to tell you he didn't really know how to play bass for a while. But obviously, that changes as time goes on, and you know they still release or they had still released great music up until their final tour, um, which Stephanie and I had the pleasure—I mean, genuine pleasure—it was awesome uh, to see that a couple of years ago. But anyway, um, yeah, check out Motley Crue 94. If you never listen to this and, and start right up, start from Power to the Music, go into Hooligans Holiday, and just let that whole thing ride. Uh, I mean, it, it is a it is just a heavy, heavy fucking album. And it, and it's and Karabi's voice. You're not going to hear Vince Neil at all. Karabi's voice is a totally different animal and it fits for the attitude of of the of the guitars. And I think it really fits in for the the attitude of the time. I'm not the biggest fan of grunge. I'll be the first to rip on Nirvana, you know, but Motley Crue did it right. Like, I mean, if you wanted some badassery, they they delivered on that big time. So check out Motley Crue 94. Anyway, whoo. All right. So um, this there was there should be other content coming out. Well, there's going to be plenty of other content coming out in June. Um, but of course, next week is Porkfest um, and I'll be doing the live Sovereign Tech from there. And oh, there might be some be some surprises as to who shows up on that. Um, and of course, you are getting the best episode um, this coming Saturday, which the best is literally, in my opinion, the best. And that's me. 
Ellen and Stephanie. It's going to be fucking awesome. I can't wait for the for you to hear that episode uh, and just tons of other great stuff to come out. I, I've got some some interesting plans for June. Um, and of course, you'll get your your Sovereign Tech newsletters are coming. That's going to be awesome. Uh, just a great time. So anyway, that's it for this week's Q&A. Wow, we finally did one that's a little under an hour for once. How about that? <laughs> Efficiency, baby. Human optimization. That's what it's all about. I will see all of you woo, on the other side. <laughs>